Hey there, my name is Mark McCartney and welcome to the What is a Good Life podcast. Over the last two years, I've interviewed nearly 200 people around this question. It's not to provide universal answers or universal truths or prescribe a, a way of living for yourself. It's more that you listen to the guests' inquiries, their curiosities, and their approaches to life to perhaps to evoke your own self-inquiries and lead you to finding your own answer to this question. Also, a big part of what I'm trying to share is just the, the sharing of meaningful conversations amongst potential strangers and also the capacity maybe for us to share intimacy, curiosity, and exploration together. So this week, we're up to the 54 fourth episode of the What is a Good Life podcast, and I'm delighted to be joined by our guest, Gab Ciminelli. Gab is the founder of the Silent Leadership Institute in Japan, author of Nothing Changes the World, excerpts and insights on the art of nothing, and speaker on the art of nothing. In this illuminating conversation, we explore our capacity not to learn from our mistakes and how we get swept away by our conditioning, be it our upbringing, education, or culture. We share our experiences of resensitizing ourselves to the human beings we naturally are through silence, space, reflection, and nature and the experiences of suffering that prompted a departure from the status quo. We delve into navigating our wider sense of separation and disconnection, transcending our ideas of identity and our fixation on measurement and labels to an awareness of what is and how we could step into the unknown. Look, this whole conversation with Gab is a breath of fresh air. His open-heartedness and willingness to explore embodies much of what he is pointing to in this conversation. If you are in need of looking at your life or the world with fresh eyes, which given the way our, many of our lives are going and, and indeed the the way the world is going uh, may be very necessary. This conversation will give you multiple pointers as to where you can start. I know I, for one, when listening back to this episode while editing it, uh, I took a lot from this conversation and learned a lot from it. I think Gab is sometimes subtly pointing to some really beautiful concepts or ways of being or ways of interpreting the world. So if you enjoy this conversation or indeed this episode, please like, share and subscribe. And if you're on the podcasting platforms, please continue to leave your lovely reviews as I greatly appreciate your support at this stage of my podcasting journey. So without further ado, the 54th episode of the What is a Good Life podcast. Gab, thank you very much for joining us today on the What is a Good Life podcast. Uh, as I mentioned to you in our little pre-chat there, uh, I really have enjoyed following your work for a while. I really enjoyed the essence of, of what you uh, capture, I think, so wonderfully as well. So thank you very much for joining us today. Mark, thank you. It's, it's my pleasure to be here, as I mentioned. It's, uh, it, it, looking forward to this for quite some time, and it's nice to meet you um, live and, and being recorded too, which is great, right? Let's see what comes out of this. <laughs> so as I, as I kick these off, Gab, it is with the question of, is there a question you're trying to answer as you move through life? That's a big question, isn't it? I mean, uh, it, it asks me, and then there's that, just to let you know, I mean, there's no way you can prepare for a question like this. And, and it's like, what is life, first of all, is is another big question we might address during this conversation. But um, I guess the, the thing that really, if, if I can put it this way, keeps me awake the most is um, what's so difficult about humanity that we don't change mm. as a humanity? I mean, if you consider... The whole background of our history, and we we set, we tend to put it into one lifetime, which is our personal lifetime. Right? However many years you've been on this earth so far, but uh, accompanying those years, along the way, you've got you've got an education from somewhere, you've gotten rituals and routines that have fallen into your state of being, and and those are actually really old. Right? There are some things that go back thousands of years that we're still practicing today. So it's not just your own lifetime that you, um, you're a product of. It's the whole history that you've been downloading into your mind. And along with that is 
the fact that we've had you know so many wars i mean there was some statistic that we've had a war for like i don't know the last five thousand years we continue to have wars almost every year and i think it's it's time to ask the question why haven't we learned from from this what's preventing us from living together on this planet as one people as as a one humanity because right now we seem to be still continually divided right um, I'm not sure how you feel about that. I know it's a kind of a deep topic, but it's it's the topic that no, no, oh, it's it's a, it's a question I ask a lot myself. You know, there was um there was a story in um in the newspaper a few years ago where, and it wasn't a big uh, a big news topic for very long. But essentially, I think the Australian government uh, were supposed to buy uh, submarines, uh, nuclear submarines, I think from France. Um, and then they reneged on the deal or something to this effect. Um, and then they bought them from the US or the British. And, um, and I thought how curious it was that the story was that it was a diplomatic, a diplomatic problem rather than, Jesus, we're still playing chess with like a, atomic or nuclear submarines between China and Australia in the ocean. <laughs> like, yeah. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Like it's... Just, I, it's so ingrained in us at this point that the absurdity of even just the preparation for it or the the mitigation for it not to happen is is just bonkers to me or even if i see like a youtube ad pop up and it's a it's a shoot 'em up game like or a war game i'm just like mm. this is so weird that like in this video clip i'm watching i'm seeing a a crosshair focus in on a human and mm. or you know in a video thing and just seeing them blasted so, yeah, there's something that I find really, and look, that's not even going into, you know, whether we talk about the, the Middle East, whether we talk about Sudan, whether we talk about Yemen, like whether we talk about battles between, between uh, drug cartels in Mexico and, and the army. Like, mm. it's just, it's baffling to me when I don't even know of half the armed conflicts that are happening in the world right now. I, right. I find that just staggering. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and you know, you brought something up in there that, that triggered my own memories. Uh, like, what were a lot of kids doing in the bath when they were little kids? They had these little submarines, and then you know, these little soldiers everywhere. I remember these little plastic soldiers you could buy from from the shelf. I, I just wondered, you know, that could be a nice little entry point. I mean, the fact that we don't change this is has probably something to do with the our upbringing, our history, our past and how deeply ingrained it is in, with, within us. So is the question about education? I mean, is that where the problem could be? Is it, um, is it just the fact that we're born into a, a system of some kind where our own parents are not even aware of, you know, the behaviors that they present to us? And they've carried on traditions. You know, being Italian myself, I've had many, many traditions, as you can imagine, uh, being Italian, uh, that we used to follow. And we never used to question, right? It was just part of sponging it all in. Uh, going to school, we, we adapt a system. And I don't see anything in the system that teaches kids how to question things openly. You know, it's more about, you know, the math, the languages, which are important subjects. Uh, but there's not enough time spent on inquiring. Uh, how does the mind work? What is the brain capable of doing, even at a young age? 
what are some of the things that you're experiencing on a day-to-day basis? I don't see much or many teachers just spend 10 minutes of a day in the classroom and just ask questions to the kids and say, well, you know, what, what happened yesterday? When you, did you have any issues? Were there any arguments? Is there anything you want to talk about? And then going through the process of, of how the mind creates uh, some of, of these conflicts. I think that that's missing. You know, we don't spend enough time or we don't have enough space maybe in our minds to question. It's always download, download, download. And here in Japan, if you've got spare time after school, a lot of times kids will go to uh, what we call juku, which is after school class, which is study, you know, improve subjects, get more, be more, get better, better grades. And eventually, you know, you go to a good college and so forth. Um, and that's, especially in Asia, is, is quite a high value. So could it be that, I wonder, if it's education? Is it the political system? Uh, is it, like you said, you know, I, I've been totally turned off. I don't want to mention any platforms, but uh, you, you know, those ads that come up in the middle of watching a video where you yeah. see that cross here, like you mentioned, I, I just quickly shut down the whole browser when those things come up because I'm just too sensitive to see those kind of things. I don't understand how people can watch it. It's that level of, um, you know, where is the, and maybe this is it. Have we been desensitized to life, to nature, yeah. to the basic simple things that we used to have, that we still do, but we, we don't notice them anymore. Is it that desensitization through maybe, you know, books, it could be playing games, it could have been movies, it could be anything. So there's that, that always playing on my mind. What's interesting, though, is um, like even if we reflect back on times pre this current educational system or pre technology, um, the wars were still going on, right? You know, you mentioned over five thousand years, wars have been going on almost almost yes. every year. It's what I what I do think is is really fascinating is in terms of just the space to question things. Because I think when we're in a crowd and we don't have that space to just explore, I, I think where I found more of my own, not even morality, but let's say just a value system. And I don't mean this in some virtuous sense, but just observing how I react when I do certain things. Mm. And and if it, if it makes me feel good, if it makes me, my, me, me feel like my heart is closed or my heart is open, shall we say. Mm. And I don't know, I, I think that's found in in the individual spending time either in quietness, stillness, observing their own thoughts, observing mm. their own reactions to these thoughts. Because I think in, in the headiness of a crowd, oftentimes we do, I don't know, get swept away in almost our, our base animalistic mm. behavior. Right. And we end up then just adopting rituals or values or ideologies that I think that's why so many people suffer as well, because they're swept along with these ideologies that you say are so ingrained through education and everything else that you just, you don't even get, it becomes so ubiquitous that you can't even question yeah. that because you don't even see it anymore. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's the key, you know, because uh, what I've definitely asked people and I'll ask you as well, if you've ever taken a vacation, you know, you've had a, a very long year of working hard, Everybody knows what this feels like. But you go on a vacation. Has there been any place where you've always felt like, I wish I could stay here longer, or I wish I could live here? Right? And if you look at people when they go to vacations, where do they usually go? 
I'm generalizing a little bit here, but where do they usually go? They go to the mountains or they go to the beach or some exotic island or somewhere where they can just, you know, take a break. And that asks a lot of questions. It just makes me wonder why people go back to their their previous life and then go through another year of stress and tension and what we think is life and then go back again. And it's it's like, (laughs) it's the opposite, isn't it? The ratio should be the other way around. (laughs) It's kind of weird. But uh, it, it makes you ask questions, um, you know, of, of that. You definitely, there is, if there's room, if you have space to just chill out a little bit, and I think nature can come in naturally very handy, which is why it's called nature. Uh, but one of the things I've definitely done since the pandemic is just gone for walks. Mm. Uh, daily, get sunshine. First thing in the morning, you know, just go out there and put your hands up in the sky, feel the sunshine, especially in the middle of the winter. That makes a big difference. But, you know, those little things that we think don't work or may just be like, you know, whatever, uh, those little tips actually make a big difference because slowly, slowly nature just sits with you. The more you walk on there, you don't have to have any headphones on, any music, nothing, just sit in there. The more you start appreciating it and then you start feeling a connectedness um, with with the earth again. And from that, you start resensitizing yourself to, to the human being that you're naturally are i think that's definitely been um, a big difference in my own life but you got to make that space <laughs> and that's the key uh, yeah and y- you know what i'm and and maybe i'm maybe it's my own ignorance to a lifestyle that i haven't fully fallen in with but you know prior to maybe the last few years where i joined linkedin i didn't have any um facebook or twitter or instagram or any anything like this um, and i'd never actually posted anything until linkedin in my 30 mid 30s mm. and what i what i find strange sometimes is the busyness of modern life and mm. when i say that i mean typically we still get up maybe if you have children you look after you tend to your children you have breakfast you go to work and then afterwards, maybe you do something social, maybe you look after your children, maybe you eat and maybe you go to bed mm. like this. I, I think this kind of and people tell me they have no time. And then I say, how many hours? What's your screen time on your phone? And that could be a number of hours. And there's something about this. There's something really synthetic, a really synthetic kind of feel to the busyness that we seem to have mm. created without you know gdp going and i'm not saying i believe in economic metrics but if we're playing that game Mm. without gdp or productivity going through the roof there's this intense busyness or there's this always switched on or always like switched on in the most unproductive ways like there might be a chance i'm going to get this email so i'm going to live in high anxiety all through the evening checking my emails Mm. until it does or doesn't arrive right and and i i don't know i think we've what I think is really interesting about what you said about nature is it, it takes away that synthetic feel. It takes mm-hmm. away that, that like space between you and almost your, your, just your feeling of life. And there's something, and a number of guests have said this too, like there's something about just sitting in nature, you become, you realize you're part of it again. Like, mm-hmm. I think we've forgotten that. And it, it's not that it's it's really hard to assimilate that again because it's so deeply we are it. You, so you can't ignore it once you're there. You don't have to go through. Well, rituals can be nice and they can be helpful, but once you're there, there's a part of you that just realizes this. Yes, 
Yes, definitely. So that that's the you know kind of uh, innate value. If we're aware of this, uh, not to make a routine out of it, but uh, just just to to be there because you need some space. It just naturally, like you said, naturally kind of attaches to yourself because that's that's really what we are. Uh, and in all of that busyness, I think you know there's what you said also comes becomes important because you've got people. What are we all trying to do? And I say we as a, as in as a humankind. I, I don't mean specific people, but uh, as humankind, most of us are chasing our dreams, which could include being competitive, right? Trying to make a name for ourselves, trying to do YouTube, get some fame, popularity, maybe monetize through there. Um, there's an you know there's a drive behind some of that that people want to get away from the regular work routines by making side income, for example. I'm not saying there's anything good or bad about this, by the way. If we go into good or bad, we'll be here forever. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's, we're not—we're never going to find this this root cause of everything. But um, I think the 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 way the the world has been set up is is something we need to question. And you know, the fact that we are all divided into countries, states. Uh, within states, we have counties and communities and cities, and you know endless number of if you would count all the communities in the world i, I actually wondered if there's more than eight billion of them there's just so many of them <laughs> we we've just divided us up and, and again it's not a negative or positive thing if you look at just factual information that's going out there in your own consciousness you'll see this that we are all just slowly dividing ourselves more and more and more there's more labels describing us these days Right. I still think there's not going to be enough letters to get to 8 billion people, but uh, there's no mathematical sense in that. But it, it may have to come to all of that before we realize, you know, what, what are we doing here? What, what is life all about? What is going on in this world that we have to be always managing life, managing stress, managing tasks, you know, um, forcing our way through life in such a way that we're basically draining our own brain, our own energy to, to be healthy, fit and sensitive. There's a lot of that happening. There's something gorgeous about the idea, though, if we were to put an optimistic spin on this level of division, it's, it's almost like this idea that we're, we grind ourselves down to the smallest point of separation to mm -hmm. the point that there is no separation left. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. So, but you know, if you draw the the math curve, we've got the x and y axis, and you you, you kind of never get to to zero, you never get to infinity, right? So there's a there's yeah. a danger of uh, the world kind of collapsing on us before we get that far, and that's why I keep asking this question: Why don't we see the the in a way emergency that that we need to really change as as a humanity? That's the key element. But the I I think the the division of ourselves even by country is such a fascinating one because you know as a as an irish um kid growing up and when we read about history and our defiance with the british and these kind of mm -hmm. things like i'm i'm so emotionally invested in that uh, you know at at the time and mm -hmm. But the moment like ireland has a population of four and a half million so the moment i draw a line around ireland that's like over over eight billion are excluded from from that club as such, yes. and and then also I, I was thinking about this before because I haven't lived in Ireland for thirteen years. The kind of fickle nature of patriotism, anyway, because mm. 
if we think that the first settlers came to Ireland 12,000 years ago, if we think that the planet's been around for 4.7 billion years, if we think, I don't know, however long anyone wants to say Homo sapien or our uh, Neanderthal cousins have been around, mm-hmm. 12,000 years, even if your lineage goes back to the very first settlers in Ireland, is a blink of an eye in comparison to existence or eternity, obviously. Yes. So there's something, and, and I, I think there's something about this, about us, maybe it's some, even some of the other things we're talking about. It's building kind of constructs, like mental constructs mm. that we we make real by all believing or holding um, and to the point that we where they become very damaging is that we forget the fact that this is just a, a mental construct that we put on this piece of land. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, you, you might have hit something there. Maybe I've kind of discovered this in my own mind, but, you know, if you go back in time, I don't think we as a human race ever designed psychology to work this way i mean if you think about maybe uh the ancient greeks i think they might have introduced the measurement the unit of measurement everything was measurement for them uh so what they introduced i mean measurement is important you know we have to have an understanding of you know how fast something is or how big something is and so forth um and, and in terms of time chronological time we also have to be able to plan meetings how long it takes to get to some place you know catching a train all that kind of stuff but i don't believe that initially we plan to have it how can i say skew over into the psychological sense of relationships right Mm. um taking action to do things and what i mean by that is you know every time and maybe there is a way and I, i i personally think that absolutely there is a way to if I can use the expression, put the past behind us and just start a complete fresh plate of no history in a way. If we can let go of all of that, we would actually change the world very, very quickly. But it's so complicated and so deep because if you look at what history is, it's all about measurement. The fact that we take action every day is because right now in this moment, I'm not enough, or I don't have enough, or there's something else I have to do. And it's all going down to our conditioning. We've been taught this way. Again, going back to schools, um, you know, we are taught to be, we're always compared. There was a a story I heard, I have a friend from Taiwan, and then she remembered when she was a little child, she used to get lined up in front of the class with her test results from the highest to the lowest. And their test results were written on their forehead. Right. So you'd see this score high to low. And that Jesus. was like, you know, the psychological impact of that is is extraordinary. They may not think anything different of it, but uh, for people who perhaps understand how it works, and this, this can be quite detrimental to, to kids. I, I honestly think kids' childhood is taken away from them far too early. But what I mean, if I can go back a little bit, otherwise we'll, we'll get a bit off track, but in terms of measurement, uh, I think it plays on our mind all the time. We are always projecting in time. And I don't believe um, for a minute that we were designed to be this way. There is a place for measurement, but there's a place that it does not belong. It's just, and the place where it doesn't belong is the fact that uh, in our own mind, we create constructs of people all the time and we create a picture of them in our mind. 
I have to watch out for the danger of people or even yourself looking at me and creating a picture of Gab in your own mind, thinking that he's like this, because that's still in your own head. And I have to watch out. I don't do the same about you. Yeah. If I create a picture about who you are, then the beauty of, of our initial meeting, our first time uh, is gone because I start to build a database about you. Right, you're from Ireland and all that. I got to take all that out and say, hey, that's not important right now. We have to communicate as human to human, which is a well. You see, I, I, I think, um, and I, I don't know, even just to share something from when we chatted at the start, it was funny. I said uh, my daughter is four months old, so that's yes. one uh, one third of a year and one one fifty fourth of uh, of her time until she's an adult. And you said. You know, if the calendar year was six months, I'd be over a hundred or right. something. And and it's, I don't know, it's just a very playful way of looking at almost yeah. the, you know, use this stuff as a guide. But there's if this is the the absolute thing in which we base our experience, I think we're ruling out so much. And mm. there's something, I, I don't know, there's there's something to what you said there though that I think is is really interesting from the point of view of. The way in which we're trying to define each other, like let's say Irish, Italian, um, lives in Germany, lives in in Japan, like expat or, you know, whatever things we wanted to say. Um, these are just such tiny glimpses, even, even if you wanted to say the label held true or was really told us something really um, essential about each other. Mm. They're only a small fragment of the overall like piece of our existence or our experience and so they and then we overweight them so much with a like if they fall into one of these specific um, categorizations of identity like Mm. i think when you go when you start to sit with yourself and observe the your own your own workings the you know the almost like the 360 degrees of of your experience these things are only just fleeting little like fragments of what we are or what we experience indeed indeed how did you see when you're explaining to me just then uh, obviously you've seen this from that perspective but how did it come about that you realized this i mean there's a lot of things that you're saying here that you know are making a lot of sense and i just wondered how you came it came about for you. you you know what was very interesting for me was um when I saw, um, when I was 31, I, I needed to, I felt I needed external help to make sense of myself because I wasn't feeling very content in relationships. So I went to see a therapist and I remember mm. at the time, um, up until that point, even a few months before I had just moved country, um, I left a, like a good job in finance and then moved to London. Um, and I was in this in-between stage where I, I was just literally on the ground and I hadn't found work yet. I was there a few weeks. Um, I wasn't going to the gym as regularly and at the time I was very like into going to the gym in my appearance that way um, mm. I, so I wasn't doing that as much I was drinking a little bit I wasn't feeling very good um, and just even without and I didn't have my the same network of friends that I I just arrived in London so maybe there was even a bit of loneliness and I remember being with uh, an ex-girlfriend at the time and I was behaving I was behaving or like erratically i wasn't behaving very nicely either i think and um i remember just wondering why they were still with me and i i remember being stunned at that realization of mm-hmm. like how was my own self-worth capitulated 
with just not behaving very well for, you know, not like, you know, maybe being erratic in my behavior for a few weeks and not having a job and not like maybe feeling like I'd put on a few pounds. Like was my idea of myself so brittle that it it couldn't stand, you know, like a hiatus from what I what I attributed my value to. And so that was the the jumping off point where I was like, that's weird because I do think that there's something underneath all this that I do value, like I am not in an arrogant way, but that there's some value I feel. Um, And the more then I got into things like meditation and just sitting there and watching things. And, you know, it was actually really interesting. I I failed in a job that year where I started to do therapy. Like I was, my ego was getting shattered. Like that was my modus operandi, if you know what I mean, of just like Mm. arrogance and, and all this. And and when I started to pick that apart, I wasn't as uh, as confident or assertive in meetings, and and I was questioning a lot of things. And failing in a in a role, um, you know, in whatever way you want to define that, like I didn't get fired, but I wasn't asked to stay when I handed in my notice. Um, mm. That was highly liberating, mm. um, because now for the first time, because I had got good grades in school, I every time I went to a job, I'd got more money. And when I left, I was offered more before I left. And then I had this experience where I, I somewhat, my identity crumbled somewhat in a year. And then after that, I realized I was still here. And then, you know, that gave me the freedom to go, well, why don't I just explore this further and go to India for four months and, mm. and do some more meditation there. And and just seeing how how quickly life moves on that I don't live under this trauma of failure or something I ended up you know meeting my wife and a German wife in India and then someone else offered me something even better in Canada later do you know what I mean like and Mm. and and this was a thing that I was hiding from all this time was just not wanting to fail Mm. and even with some people that I work with at this point when they say to me I'm doing everything right or they say I rarely ever fail I find that really like I find that a really strange badge of honor to 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 wear because like if we're not not even not even you don't have to categorize it a failure if you're not comfortable with that word or if that's a loaded word but just things not working out maybe as you hoped whatever like and it's it's fine like you still remain after all of that I I think fear of failure and our our, our identity or attachment to to not failing is a, is a big hindrance to seeing a lot of things uh, yes, through experience, I think you know if we're aware enough, like you said, we we could um, take a lot of our experiences in life. There are many ways we could be, how can I say, conditioned to handle certain things. But I think you know what's common about us all is that um, we all know pain, we all know suffering, we still all know what it's like to be happy too. Uh, we all know what it's like to chase desires and wants and all that kind of thing. You know, so we, as a human race, experience the same emotions, so to speak. We may have different upbringings, we have different values, but when it comes down to emotions, I think we all have a common ground. And if one can tap into the fact as to why some of these hardships happen, and maybe like you did yourself uh, and myself, I've had probably every workplace drama thrown at me in the last you know before before 2022 i had everything thrown at me for the last 20 years that you could possibly imagine including being fired or being yelled at in front of other i mean all the nightmare stuff that you read about i've gone through all of that (laughs) and in fact it's it's been all of that if i had taken it as a and you know at the time it's really difficult to handle when when you're in that those shoes because 
you know, getting older and older, you, you start to realize certain things. But when you're young, you have a lot of ambition and you want to be somebody, you want to do things. It's naturally how we're trained. Uh, and at the time that these things happen, you fall into a trap and you think, well, you know, I'm not good enough or, you know, why are my treat being treated this way? And you just start to go around this self, how can I say, spiral of things that could happen to you. And everything that happens to you is based on habits you've picked up, traditions, all that belief stuff, non-beliefs as well. It just plays with it. And it comes to the stage, um, you know, there won't be enough time to tell this story, but there's a stage where I got to where I thought, well, I'm, I've hit a wall. I don't, I don't know what is going on anymore. Um, and what do I do about this? And it got to a stage where I basically couldn't move my own body anymore. I didn't know what was happening to me. Uh, but anyway, to cut a long story short, once you've gotten past that, you start to realize that there's something else in operation here that we actually don't see very clearly until we have the humility to look at some of the things that are happening in our life, some of these hardships. Because you can always dismiss hardships. This is what we are very good at. You know, I'm unhappy. i got to go and be happy. What do I do? Um, I don't know. You can go for walks. You can have chocolate. You can have coffee. Whatever you do, drink, uh, you know, go out with friends. The fact is that you, you're running away from not being happy. Right? You want to be happy. You're angry. So, you, you know, it's not good to be angry. We've been told this. I have to go and manage my, my anger. So what you're actually doing is creating a distance between what you are and then going off and managing something else. This doesn't make any sense anymore. Right? It yeah. used to be like that. Uh, I used to train emotional intelligence. And, and one of the things about emotional intelligence is um, how to manage self-management. Right? And I don't do that anymore because I think, well, well hang on, if you've got self-awareness, which is good, it should be enough if you've asked deep enough questions to know what you are. And then the self-management part never even happens. I don't have any need to manage my emotions anymore I don't, because they don't bother me. You know, somebody could call me. I, I, I don't even care what people call me anymore. It doesn't really matter. I've been called everything in the book that you can think of. Nothing <laughs> bothers me anymore. So it's got to the stage where you've realized, like you said earlier, you know, these little pieces don't mean much anymore. And it's like, why bother with it? I don't engage in any of it. Um, but of course, there is a, a realization to, to what we were doing. If there's one way to kind of cut everything out, like I said earlier, where you can kind of start a fresh slate, if I can put it that way, and there is a way to do this, then you know, you won't have the problem of managing fear. And fear is a very, very deep topic because we don't really know how it works. Um, you, you won't have the problem of, of running away from what's actually in your reality at the time. You know, if, for example, if I have uh, cancer or some terminal disease, I may go off and start running around and trying to fix it and make it better or, you know, take it out or whatever it is that I have to do. Um, or I may just say, you know, I've got it. What am I going to do now in terms of not stopping to run away from it? But where is the actual problem? And I've, I've had, I've had uh, non-terminal cancer before, by the way. And um, I actually didn't do anything except realize and come to the realization, not by intellect, but just come to the realization that, that I was, uh, you know, a body with billions of cells. And my mind was totally out of alignment. This is a couple of years ago before when I hit the wall. 
And that made me realize that uh, the two cannot be separate. Why am I keeping these things separate? So my whole mindset completely changed after that. And it changed in the sense that I had no option. I found out what my mind was doing and all the tricks it's playing on me. And I still have to corner it sometimes to figure out what it's doing. The key is to realize that, um, and again, you have to kind of see this in operation through your struggles in life, is that what is operating in my life at this moment that's causing all of this stress? Why do I keep repeating stuff all the time? Why do I have the same feeling all the time? Why are there wars going on out there? Because I'm not separate from the mindset of the entire world. And people don't see this. The fact that it may be too challenging to change anything because they think the world is too big, right? There's too many things involved. There's politics and countries and everything else. But actually, you are in your psychological mind the representation of how the whole world works. You've got the downloaded enough pieces to know how everything works. So changing, how can I put this? The words are always challenging. Changing the content in your consciousness will actually impact the world. And you only have to look at people who, it doesn't, you don't have to be a Steve Jobs or, you know, even the people who who really impacted it. Uh, You don't have to be anybody famous. Anybody can impact the, the consciousness of the world if they realize that they are not separate from what's going on out there. If they realize they are supporting the way that the world is structured by who they think they are right now. If that makes any sense. I'm not sure if you're oh, following. That, that, that absolutely makes sense. And it's, but that's even a fascinating, exp- like I think there's this lovely simplicity in which we're, we're running away from the reality of our uh, complicit um, experience in, in what life is or what the world is by that person over there is the bad guy. And this, this guy here, no, no, he's, he's good. (laughs) Like, you know, he's just, he's just doing his best and he's getting by and he's, he's getting by in spite of the the deals of the world. And, and I think that's a, there's something that can be really liberating about just being able to see, as you say, see the reality of your situation. And it's not, it's not in the way that we've been brought up to do it either. It's not in like, I see bad thing bad mark oh you terrible man like you you have a temper you have said this you've done that Mm. no just looking at it and just continue to look at it and and hold it and Mm. and i and i i think a lot of this may sound ridiculously simple but i think so much of life is just can you just watch and can you pay attention and i think something wonderful happens like whether it's returning to our true nature where i think something is just naturally trying to grow to express itself. And even, you know, you mentioned the word ambition there. I think it comes from the word ambit, which basically means to fill up a compass, like which mm. to me sounds lovely. Like that's just filling up your full range, whatever whatever that is. We'll all have something different for that in, in our own constellation or, or of, of whatever this smaller self is. But just really curious for you, Gab, wouldn't, you mentioned that experience of like literally feeling like you hit a wall and your your like body not even not being able to move your body like you used to like what was what allowed you to what allowed you to open up the space in that scenario to start contemplating things that could lead you out of that state of consciousness shall we say that's a good question it's not easy to answer because uh, you know i have been trying 
meditation and all kinds of meditation and being through Japan and have also trained with pretty well-renowned monks around the world um, for 20 years. And none of that prevented me from hitting a wall, so to speak. So I was always suspicious of, uh, you know, all those activities and traditions and routines, but I thought I'd try them anyway, because what, what meditation kind of did help me do was uh, at least create some space, right, between the madness and some focus time. I wouldn't call it anything. I wouldn't even call it meditation. I'll call it focus time, concentration time, which you can do reading a book anyway. But um, beside the point, um, you know, that didn't help. And, uh, you know, I, I probably should explain a little bit more. Um, having basically gone through what I mean when, when my body stalled was uh, there was a night in particular where uh, I was in the middle of the night and I basically suffered a number of uh, seizures, shaking, body shaking, holding onto my head. I wouldn't wish, wish this on anybody, but grabbing my head and just feeling shaking. It was in the middle of a high, hybrid dream state, but I remember being very awake and I don't know how long it lasted. It just felt like I was constantly being hit in the head with lightning. Right? And it was going straight through the top of my head uh, in, the, in the top ch chakra. And I, I thought, you know, I don't know how long this is going to last, but I just took it. I just, okay, whatever, you know, I, I'm, I'm here. I don't know what's going on. Just do what you have to do kind of thing. And after some time, I fell asleep eventually and stopped. Uh, when I woke up in the morning and I couldn't see a thing, it was just white, complete blank, white. I don't know what this was. I basically thought I had died. I really thought I had gone. I thought this is it. I don't even know if I'm still here, to be honest. I can't prove it. <laughs> Right, I, I, there's nothing this in my... so This is a solo podcast, guy. But I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, but uh, no, I'm, I've got to be careful again not to get people to make images of this because this is just a, one of my experiences, and you know I'm no different from anybody else. But you know, I just remember that. I'm glad you you, you um, confirmed that. I think I'm still alive. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but I remember that space was just so. I have no words uh, and the closest thing, and I hate using this word, but I call it nothing because there was really a, an endless, unnameable something going on in there. And, um, and I wasn't there. That's the funny part of it. I, I didn't even know I existed. Um, and it slowly faded off. I remember. And the first thing I saw was, you know, the window, which somehow was open and I saw the, the trees that were outside. It was quite nice and it was a beautiful experience. Um, but that after that, I remember my family was saying, are you okay all the time for the next three, four days? Because I was just in a daze. I was like, I don't know what's going on here. And uh, during that time, I just started to see things a lot clearer. I thought, okay, well, this is what's going on. Now I see the structures and I can tell how we're kind of caught in not knowing what's going on. I mean, we're just still trapped in the, the mindset. We have to think all the time. We have to be busy. And we have absolutely no understanding of what else there is. And here's the key. This is something you said also. It's because we're too afraid to look. We are too afraid of not knowing. And that's the part that if you can get over that fear, and you, you just have that space. You've got that action which requires no system, no logic. It's just you just know what to do. 
right? The, it's almost like, I hate to put it simplistically, but your heart is the guide. You, you intrinsically know what is good for the world and what is not. And that's the, uh, in fact, it's not even what it's not. You just know what's good. There's, there's no judgment in that frequency. It's a complete unconditional. There's no expectation. You don't have to set any goals. You don't have to take any action. You can do basically nothing, but nothing will also tell you what you need to do. Right? Because you're so connected and, to what's going on. And I, and I think in, the, in that space, uh, there's, um, you can never intellectualize yourself out of betraying that feeling. Yes. Um, like even when you betrayed it and you tried to reverse engineer why you did it, you, you can't get away from it. Exactly. I, I, I think in my experience anyway. Yeah. See, see if you've known this already, there's probably nothing new for you then, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's something that, um, you know, what, what we have to watch out for is, you know, we can beautify this space as much as we like, but the problem we humans will do is they say, well, that sounds great. I want that. And then we go after it. We look for a method. Right? We want to read mm. books. We want to talk to I mean, people are going to come ask you now, Mark, how did you get there or me or whatever? They're always asking how, but you cannot do it from the space of intellect. That's what I'm trying to let people know is don't start with uh, going after the unknown. Start with what you do know. What can you see? And if you can look at what you can see with, try looking at it without objecting to it. Uh, just even for a moment, just try and look at it without your opinions. I like this feeling. I don't like this feeling. Don't worry about any of that. Just go with what is happening. And this is the hardest thing to do because your beliefs start coming in and say, this is not good. I'm uncomfortable. And it's yourself talking to you all the time. But uh, the key is to realize that in the space, you'll find that if you really look at it, you, you'll see that there is a self-constructed me that's come about either through birth or after birth or before birth. I can't quite put my finger on it. It could come before birth as well, because apparently the baby in, in mother's stomach is already learning something. Uh, but it's until maybe a couple of years old when they actually start to latch on to the fact that, you know, they need the dependency more and more, or the parents over overemphasize that dependency, or they give them too much direction, um, which is, which is something that, uh, you know, we've been trained to do. But in saying that, you know, it's it's got to come back to that stage where you are a, a sponge, just like, you know, a, a six-month-old baby in many senses, or one-year-old, where the whole world is just curious. They start to walk, they want to touch things, they want to move. That beauty of curiosity is, I think, what's taught out of us gradually. And it's such a pity because it's exactly what we need right now to see that open space. And... You know, this is, um, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm not trying to simplify conflict, um, even going back to what you kind of opened up with in this conversation. But I think one of the core cores of conflict in anyone's life, even just on the micro level, is just holding on to something so tightly that you don't let any new information or experiences alter that, or you don't want that belief to be threatened in mm. any way. And... In what you're like, I, I, because I, I think, look, we're naturally an interdependent being. We're naturally, we naturally seek 
relationship and we live in relationship to everything like you like we don't exist without everything else existing almost on this plane of consciousness or this experience of life um mm. but there's there's something with with these what you just said there about the curiosity piece that i think sometimes we almost use that word in this playful like oh children ask the question mm. why like you know as if it's curiosity is this flimsy kind of superfluous uh, um way to view the world mm. but when we think that the world is constantly changing even the cells in your body constantly changing everything's moving even empty space that i see in front of between me and my hand right now yeah. there's molecule there's things that are happening in this empty there's always something moving Yes. And I I think this is what kind of fucks us up as people is we want to look at life like it's a static picture and we want to hold on to our beliefs and our interpretation of that static picture hmm. but really it's always pulsing and hmm. that's why this curiosity I think it brings us into a state of aliveness or contact with reality it's a thing that stops you running away from who you are you know because you can continuously with fresh eyes kind of go Hmm, I thought I kind of knew myself. I thought I had a handle on that, but hmm. Jesus, I've just said the worst thing I could possibly have said to somebody. Y yeah. You know, like uh, and and even the best things too, like wow, that was gorgeous. How how did I feel so open-hearted in that moment? That was an unbelievable experience. What was happening? What changed? What shifted? If if you didn't feel that with that person before, like so I I think that's why that curiosity thing it's used almost in this very flimsy way. It's just kind of thrown around as something cute. Um but I think it's fundamental. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, we are, it's always the limitation of words as well. And, and we create images for those words as well. So yeah. it's also very important to realize, um, you know, the word is really never the thing. So I think what we're talking about, the curiosity yeah. is, is the openness. I mean, most of us don't remember what we did before we were, I don't know, four years old, around that age. We can't remember what that was life. And that's actually where all the beauty happens. Right, in that time when uh, you wake up the next morning, I mean, my kids were the same. When when they were four or five years old, if they did something the day before, they'd completely forgotten about it the day after. They would either do the same trouble again or do the same nice thing again, whatever you want to judge it as. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, there was a beauty in that. And I think um, it's actually possible to to be in that state where, you know, there is no judgment. Uh, there are no expectations on people. There are no image making of people and when they are they get discarded anyway because they're not important right so you yeah. this is actually i just want to uh, jump on that because you mm. you mentioned that earlier and i wanted to ask about it and you've just kind of brought it up again in the like in observing your children what is this uh way that you were describing that we could potentially forget the past or not hold on to the past or to start afresh yeah, that's that's yeah. I think we can continue with what I was saying actually. Now that you mentioned that, because um, there is what I was saying earlier is there is a. I think it's important to realize how time works because, before we we conclude on that path, is that time is the way we speak right now. What you and I have been talking about, um, our day to day conversations with people around us, is a product of the past. Our language is a product of the past. Unless you're teaching me a new word right now, which I think we're okay. But <laughs> you're, you're listening right now, so I'm happy. Um, but no, uh, you know what I mean? So the product, of, it's not just language. Language is something we need to use as a tool. But it's also the product of a complete past in terms of 
how we speak is also conditioned. How we think is conditioned. How we behave is conditioned. Basically, all our thought, our thinking processes are only based around what it knows, right? So every moment that we live in the now, and this is where I quiz people on what is really the now, we have to be careful we're not using the whole database of the past to live our life in now, because actually we're still living in the past, if that makes sense. Now, your thinking might create something new, but it's still based on the past. You're still using past knowledge to put thinking patterns together or, you know, bits and pieces. The thinking, is, the brain is very good and it will still create something new. Now, I think this is the whole problem. If we misunderstand this, we'll never understand how to change because we're trying to create new processes, new systems, new solutions or resolutions based on past knowledge and nothing in the last 5,000 years has worked. So what are we doing? There's nothing in the space of the known that can possibly ever solve humanity's problems. You have to go into the space of the known and say, well, I don't need to bring in my beliefs in this conversation. Who I am is not important. Uh, what I do is not important either. But, you know, it's just the beauty of being with somebody and appreciating so simple, you know, the sound of a human voice. You don't even have to interpret the words. You can just listen. Uh, and you don't have to use your, hear your hearing to listen. You can use your eyes. And same out, out in nature. If you look at a, a tree or you look at a sunset, everybody's seen a sunset or a sunrise. You don't stand there describing it. You, you're just lost in the, the awe of it. You know, when somebody taps you on the shoulder, you're like, eh. they're asking you a question. Mm, give me a minute. Right. And you're just lost in that beautiful scenario. Then you're not there when that happens. And people who are, you know, inspired, they do stuff that they're just so passionate about. They're also not there. If you think about it, they're just going by uh, some kind of an incredible action. And you know, these people, when they walk in a room, right, you just, they just have this energy about them and you just feel it. You don't even have to look at who they are, but those are, those actions are there because those people are having in a way a certain freedom about what they do. They're not tied into, you know, the, the structures of our mind the ones that are restricting us. They're just going out there in a way fearless because they've understood how that works, but they're not intending to do it. It's, it's almost like it's just naturally there. There's an action that takes place that is not in the space of the known, but you have to understand how that time space works. And then what is creating the time? What is creating us is just a complete, I don't know. I sometimes use the metaphor of a bucket. You know, you're all holding up a bucket in front of us and in the bucket is my history the people I love, the people I don't like, the experiences, the workplace stuff and all that kind of thing. And then through that bucket, I have a picture of you, right? And that's who I think you are. And I describe you in that bucket. And I'm actually talking to you. Oh, sorry, I should say that again. Am I actually talking to you using the bucket or am I saying, I don't need this, right? I just want to listen and speak to Mark. I don't even need to know your name actually, but just out of respect, I'll call you Mark. And then, then the beauty happens because you're no longer judging what that person says. You're listening. That's what I think active listening is. And that is the activation to uh, understand if you can see how the past is working, how you are creating a, a self image of yourself, a, self, a me. And that me is always projecting in the collection of the bucket. 
and saying, hey, this is what I want to do. This is my action. This is my one, my dreams, my purpose. And all of that is defined by the known. Then all you're creating is um, a position where you're not in sync with nature or the universe or however you want to put it. You're out of sync. You're, you're, you've created a, a type of violent offset, if I can put that that way, because you're not who you are. You're something superficial that you've created or that's been created unconsciously. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, this is absolutely gorgeous. There's like, I, I don't know the, what you capture there, I think is it almost has me thinking like we're, we're standing on the edge of the, uh, like an unfolding or I'm using, I'm using words here again that might not capture it, but that there's something that we're, we're both willing to, to just stand there almost like naked from the labels and, and everything else. And there's just such, there's an intimacy with life and there's an intimacy with one another, which brings a certain like sense or, or experience of aliveness or, or just a, a contact with what is. And I, mm. I don't know in, in, in that space. And it's not, it's not in this really robotic way of trying to get there or trying to do it. I, yeah. I think there's ways we find, because I too, like you, um, you, you know, you mentioned for a long time you were practicing meditation and, you know, that became something I did. Do, do you know what I mean? Where I really tried to be conscious for a time. Mm. And then I think there's almost a point where you're just trying to, not trying to do something, but you're just... I realize that my life is so much more than a, a practice and it's going on all the time. And yeah. that there's something that these moments, maybe, maybe a conversation for me is a very easy way to fall into that experience for whatever reason. I, I just, there's something about another human being, particularly a conversation like this, where it's something that just resonates a lot with, from what you're saying, but it can be other things. It can be nature. It can be walks. It can be that sunrise. Like as you were talking there, you know, there's this painful moment sometimes as as on holidays and I was looking out at the ocean recently. It can be this painful moment where you I almost intellectually try to absorb I'm looking at this vast ocean and I'm intellectually trying to um impress upon myself that I must take this moment in. And you can see and the the, the difference in experience is like one is almost this vastness. And then the other is this almost trying to hold on to that moment and and crumpling up the the expansion of what what I'm looking at. Not not saying contraction or expansion is good or bad, but there's just a very different experience in the quality of the of of the contact. I think that's such a great example, actually, Mark. That's a really good example of of how you know we are trained to try and hold on to memories because you know this this may have happened with the. Or it may have increased with the um, the technological side of it, you know, where people are now taking pictures of, well, they've been doing this for many years, but they're taking pictures of everything. Uh, and the thing is, there is a beauty in that too, because people want to capture the moment, but they don't realize that it's a moment they don't need time to be captured in. Yeah. It, it's not something they're going to ever forget if that's the case anyway, because it's just happening now, right? This is the beauty of it. Uh, but the moment you go off that, I, t I pull out my cell phone and say, I need to take a picture of this, right? Because I, I remember this so nicely. You've lost the moment. And it's the same with yeah. everything else we go through. We think the sunset is, is you know, a beautiful part of life. But there's also a beauty in understanding, you know, our emotions and how we do get frustrated 
if we stay with the frustration as we would with a sunset, what happens? It, you know, so there's that, there's that part of it. And I think that's, that's the part if we can maybe point people to somehow, if they can see the operation of, of this third party entity, if I can put it that way, the self, the ego self, how it's really playing uh, with our life and how dangerous it can be, you wouldn't go near it. You wouldn't even bother with it. I, I just want to um, repeat that for anyone listening. I think that's such a gorgeous idea. The um, staying with our frustration or looking at our frustration like we would a sunset. Um, and that, I, I think, is that has that has profound implications. Mm. And there's I don't know, going back to what you mentioned just about our schooling and good and bad and right and wrong, I think there's so much of the human experience that we've been like taught to to disown, run away from, not connect with. And it leads us into these places then of great frustration or even, ang- even more anger because we're trying to, I don't know, like we're trying to create a jigsaw with half the pieces. Um and and that's a frustrating experience you yes, know and, exactly and i i don't know there's just there's a wonder in this it's not to it's not to sugarcoat life and say that it becomes incredibly easy and frustration and anger and pain mm. and suffering suddenly just becomes this glorious uh, experience but mm. i think there's so much of what you've been saying gab is just like if we just create a bit of space like a bit of space to reflect on things a bit of mm. space to face things even if it's, you know, you, you've had this very obviously st- strong experience of like, you know, being in bed, holding your head and feeling like seizures. And just even if you walk through, like not walk through that, but if you just get, if, if you experience that and see there's something on the other side, um, I don't know, I, I think life can give us blessings in ways that we can we can experience things where we're like, okay, like this is this is life happening. I sat there and it, it, it was an experience. Right. Right. I, I think something that you said there made me think, uh, uh, there's nothing on the other side, if I can put it right. that way. There's really yeah, not, yeah, 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 because yeah. You, you realize that, you know, uh, and, and a lot of the work, again, we have to kind of reiterate uh, for listeners as well is, is to watch out for the danger of you going after an idea because you, there's a difference between fact and an idea or a conclusion that the mind is so well looked for, you know, it's so well looking for all the time. How do I do something? I want the answer to this, 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 and this, and you go after the answer. But all your answers lie in the questions about what's happening now. So never look at the outside or the other side because it's not there. It's just everything that's that's happening in your dualistic life right now is something that um, you don't need to run away from. Right. And there, yeah. the answers are all in there. I mean, you don't have to go outside of that box. Gab, with so much we've been discussing, whether it's been the opening, uh, the opening questions around war, why do we keep repeating mm. the same things, questioning around conditioning, um, realizations of experiences in nature, of having space, of observing the mind, um experiences uh you know which left you with a very different uh 
perception of uh, of of life as well whether it's both of us reflecting on failure and um, more perceived sense of failure and how that was liberating or how that could open us uh, open us up to other concepts and mm. um, to perhaps this acknowledging this feeling of life like that the intelligence of that that can guide us whether you want to call that your heart or, or however anyone else may define that um, just really curious to to get your take on, on the question of what what is a good life for you? <laughs> um, a good life for me would be that uh, realization that there is no me. That's that's as as simplest as I could actually put it. And it's a very deep kind of question, but I, I think that would be the best way to sum it up: to realize that there is no me here. There's no fabricated me. That's living life there needs not to be um, but also once you've felt that in actuality you'll also feel the entire world you, you you'll feel the entire world the entire energy of the whole world and you know that there is all of this happening wars and suffering and people you know all this kind of stuff and from that comes a certain compassion you know that you feel as a as a human connected to everybody else in this world that uh, comes with a sense of um, responsibility for people's lives, for people's well-being, for people's to understand what life really, really is. That's, that's everything. Hmm. Uh, Gab, I have absolutely enjoyed the hell out of this conversation. Um, uh, thank you so much for joining me on the What is a Good Life uh, podcast. I, I had a suspicion that I was, I was very much going to enjoy this conversation and, and that turned out to be. So thank you. Well, I have to say the same thing. I, I appreciate you uh, being such a kind, open-hearted listener uh, to be able to, you know, question within your own mind certain things and to be able to share with me as well. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a simpleness and beauty in that as well. So I want to thank you too, Mark.